Right, hello and welcome to Podcast in His Praxis. It's yet another cultural episode, and this time we're discussing everyone's favourite space adventure, Star Trek. Uh, with me tonight we've got special guests Sin and Cozy. Oh, well that was a good attempt. Um, <laughs> hi everyone. <laughs> uh, we've got one of the Jameses. Yeah, well, you know, one of the Jameses. There are many Jameses, but I'm the James of, the, of these episodes at least. And we've got McLovin. <laughs> Great. Oh, brilliant. Hi. What's happening? Right. So, um, we're here to talk about Star Trek, which is obviously uh, set in a, a post-scarcity communist, like, utopia, sort of. Um, up for yeah. debate. Citation needed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and is weirdly popular with chuds everywhere. And apparently weirdly popular with our listeners, given that I put a poll out and it came first in the things we wanted to hear us do takes on, so... Yeah, but democracy doesn't work, though. We've established that. Oh, true. <laughs> so anyway, Star Trek, everyone's favourite space show about wizards. Um, <laughs> who wants to start us off with, with an interesting take? Just like that. All right. All right. Um, sure, fuck it. I'll go first, then. Why not? The Prime Directive is the zenith of liberal ideology. Hard agree. That's correct. <laughs> David, why don't you why don't you explain what the Prime Directive is for any of our listeners right. who are dazed and confused? Yeah, the Prime Directive is a, a recurring story beat that comes up where it's basically a device around which any episode of Star Trek is formed, where the ship comes across a civilization that isn't space-faring. It's not sufficiently advanced enough because they don't have faster than light travel. That's that's the mark of it. As soon as you get faster than light travel, the Prime Directive no longer applies. If you don't have it, then there's like, it's like a non-interference thing. So it's like um, the space version of coming across a, a native tribe somewhere, and you're not supposed to you're not supposed to interact with them in any way because you may affect their development and taint their society. Sounds like a perfectly reasonable rule. I don't see a problem with that. It does, doesn't it? I mean, to be fair, half the time they break the rule, they end up being worshipped as gods, so it might be a good idea to not break the rule sometimes. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, so once once they've got like faster than light travel, then you're allowed to regime change them. That's right. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. It's, um, it's, it's bullshit, basically. It's, um, it's the foreign policy 101 for the Federation. And it's it's shite because half of them don't fucking listen to it, and half of them hide behind it as a as an excuse for just not bothering because it would be too much fucking hassle, too much paperwork. Yeah, yeah. When you put it like that, it kind of is. It is about the paperwork, isn't it? It's always some cunt behind a desk screaming at the captain. No, you can't interfere. Remember the prime directive. So I, it's purely that. I mean, Do aren't we... there a bunch of episodes where they're just having like trials for a bunch of these things? So yeah, there is. Yeah. Well, it's also like it's worth pointing out that when we're talking about Star Trek, Star Trek's obviously a big thing, and so the Prime Directive really came into its own with the Next Generation. It seems um, in the original series there was a Prime Directive, but Kirk didn't seem to give a fuck. There's even <laughs> um, there's even an episode which I, I actually caught clips of recently because I was looking this up. And um, he's reading the Constitution of the United States to, like, you know, savage tribes people, essentially. Um, mm -hmm. Like, you know, straight on in, give no fuck, let's just uplift these people kind of thing. 
Um, but it rolls around to Picard, and suddenly, suddenly things get complicated. Suddenly it's, mm-hmm. uh, oh, but I mean, this planet has got a bunch of volcanoes. It might be about to blow up. Maybe we could figure out what the problem is and stop the volcanoes blowing up. And I mean, they won't know. So, and like, uh, that is, that is held up as an ethical dilemma. Like, I mean, we can, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we can save them without them knowing that we exist or that we saved them because we've got no idea the apocalypse is impending, but that would be interfering. So, well, uh, let me read you a little quote. This is Captain Picard in The Next Generation. Is this one of his speeches? Uh, no, it's, it's quite short for him. Um, the Prime Directive is not just a set of rules. It is a philosophy and a very correct one. History has proven again and again that whenever mankind interferes with a less developed civilization, no matter how well-intentioned that interference may be, the results are invariably disastrous. Yeah... Well intentions doing a lot of fucking heavy lifting. Right? <laughs> <laughs> really fucking is. Like the only context anyone has for when when you're watching it, out of the small handful of episodes which are prime directive focused, the only frame of reference you've really got there is colonialism. I kinda I don't know, as you were reading that quote, I was just picturing like, you know, John Luke Picard giving the speeches in the background, this footage from like the second Iraq war playing, like just, you know, playing <laughs> out behind him. Um, which is ironic because as far as I'm aware, all of the next generation was done and dusted before the second Iraq war. It was done before 2003, oh, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, well so, before that, yeah. But like, it, it definitely, it, it does do that kind of thing where it's just taking on face value that a lot of the interference, I mean, we can, we can come back to less developed civilizations and that kind of thing in a minute, right? Mm. But it does kind of take for granted that all of the the justifications that have been given for empire colonialism for just fucking around in other people's backyards it's always been sincere whereas maybe maybe if you tried to do some kind of interference that wasn't rooted in that kind of perspective um it might actually go okay i don't know it just seems like a thought worth considering maybe yeah it's it keeps cropping up and it, it, it like we said it's one of those ones where like Kirk didn't give a fuck. Like he was quite happy to just do what he liked. I was gonna say the original series they were they were incredibly busy dealing with all the wizards they met. Like <laughs> yeah. they didn't have time for philosophical philosophical points beyond what if a wizard Or or a Greek god, you gotta remember that. I mean they can't oh, run yeah. into mm. Greek gods out there in space. That's a well known thing. I mean space is a big place, who knows what you run into. Mostly wizards. Zeus just got tired one day and decided he'd move Olympus off to, I don't know, fucking Andromeda or something. I mean, it's not they, they did have they have at least one wizard in the next generation, don't they? But he's a, he's like a regular character rather yeah, than Q, just, yeah, yeah, rather than just like turning up as a different like you know a different wizard every week. Because the original <laughs> series, they've got like the wizard who thinks he's like um, a, a, an Earth noble from the eighteen hundreds or something. They've got the child wizard who doesn't know how to behave, and then his parents, the floating gas clouds, turn up to bollock him at the end. Um, <laughs> what is and then this show? Just various, various <laughs> other like wizards that turn up, and Kirk has to reason with them because you can't use force against wizards. Um, even in the even in the films, the first film is what if the Voyager probe came back and was a wizard? <laughs> and then one of the, I think the final frontier is what if a wizard pretended to be God? Yep. Yep. And then in the middle, somewhere in the middle, they've got that one where Spock, uh, Kirk gets completely Spock-pilled. <laughs> okay, I don't recognise that one. What what one's that? 
the search for Spock. Shit, yeah, okay, no, right, yeah, all right, sure. Spock build, it's, wow, I can feel it's my always, it's, it's always so gratifying when I have to immediately explain a joke. <laughs> I, I, I'm that, sorry. I'm that's sorry. how you know it landed, right? Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, like, when you said it, I was like, there could be a few different things that refers to. Because, like, let's be honest, Kirk is hard for Spock. Like, absolutely. Oh, I mean, yeah. Okay, that one didn't really would, land very well either. So no, no, I was just, I was just, no, I was just thinking through that because, like, I watched a few of the films before we did this because originally we were just going to talk about the films, and then we realised that you can't talk about the films without talking about the fucking actual TV source material. Yeah. Um, like the feel of the original series films is so vastly different to everything that comes after, and not just in like the kind of genre and style of them, but like the way they're written. There's like two maybe three characters that you actually are supposed to give a fuck about. Mm. It's all Kirk and Spock and maybe McCoy. Well, it's also like, wasn't the first of the Star Trek films a commercial flop? Am I remembering that right? Um, yeah, yeah, it didn't do that well, I'm pretty sure. Have any um, of them done well, really? Yeah, like a few of the, the Next Generation ones did okay, like the um, fuck, First Contact, was it? One with Picard, yeah. uh, with um, what's-his-face who plays him? That's really bad. Patrick Stewart having like a midlife crisis and signing wants to go roaring about on a June buggy with his best mate. Oh no, no, that, that wasn't, that wasn't first contact. That was, um, that was Nemesis. That was oh, the so last it, one of them. Oh, so it was. Well, I mean, first contact was kind of kicking it off because he's playing an action hero in that. You know, oh yeah. Just first contact, like... first contact the one where the farmer from Babe invents space travel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh Christ. Famous inventor of the Hoggett engine. Is it the same actor? <laughs> it is. God damn it is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I, I will never unsee that ever again. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, oh the, the the difference between those films is so fucking stark, it's unreal. Because the the next generation films are like they go between trying to be they don't know what they are, they're either an ensemble film mm-hmm. or they're a Picard character study film. Like it's it's, it's one, it's just him or it's all of the cast that they're focusing on and quite badly because of that because they keep jumping back and forth between the two kind of it's almost like he's the a story and they're the b story it's kind of consistent with how they filmed the next generation tv show though because that very much was Mm. i mean it was pick a character they're the a story and then everyone else fills in as b stories essentially and more often than not the character was picard or occasionally Riker. um that seemed to be where it kind of came together and then I, they don't know, I think they did. I think they did quite a good job in the next generation when they were doing that kind of stuff, and they were doing like kind of character study episodes. They were quite good at sharing it out, like because there was quite a lot of warf episodes. There was quite a lot of fucking Jordy episodes where he gets really creepy with that fake woman on a holodeck. Oh There's, Jesus! Um, yeah, yeah. Jordy can't fuck. Um, there was. There was even plenty of um, Doctor Crusher episodes in which she does fuck a ghost. Just. Yeah, that was quite well spread out. Like other series were really bad for it. Voyager specifically was fucking awful for it. Oh, I've because, got fucking like, comments was... on Voyager, by the way. <laughs> oh no, can't wait to talk about Voyager. <laughs> there was constant streams of let's do a seven of nine episode. Let's do another seven or nine episode. Let's do another seven or nine. It's just on and on and on and on. On the plus side, though, that does that does kind of leave space for the Doctor episodes, which were really good. If you want to talk about um. Star Trek, Star Trek's relationship to, to liberalism as well. Seven and nine was responsible <laughs> for the Barack Obama presidency, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh shit. Now hang on. 
this was a real life thing, wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. Someone string this out again because I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it was something to do with her then husband was taking her to sex clubs, if I remember right. And I think wasn't he the guy who would have beaten Obama to become a senator from Chicago? Yeah, or, Jack Ryan, yeah. Yeah, but then that didn't happen because of the scandal with her divorcing him. And so Barack Hussein Obama, real name Barry, got in. Like, is that, mm-hmm. is that right? Am I remembering that right? She was working so much on Star Trek because once they added, like, uh, Borg in, like, hot pants and everyone, all the, all the nerds really liked that character for reasons that were, weren't entirely clear. Um, <laughs> Nothing wrong with she, it. Don't shame people. They wanted her on every. They wanted her on every episode, so she had to work away from home too much, and that was what led to the divorce, which is what led to the scandal, which is what led to uh, Barack Obama becoming a senator. There's also, there's also um, like we're missing a key fact, which is that one of the producers wanted to bang her, like the actress. Yeah. And yeah. also the the actress who played Janeway, whose name I can never remember for love no money. Um, ended up being incredibly jealous of her taking the spotlight away from her and like made being on set incredibly like uncomfortable for everyone in fact but especially for um what is it what's her what's her name now because it's not jerry ryan anymore it's uh that's i don't know if i'm honest i don't know i so she you know she made it really uncomfortable for jerry springer and uh (coughs) as a consequence of that um as far as i know she's she's still going by jerry ryan is she? I could have sworn she changed it, but maybe I'm just like making shit up. It's not doing that important. Some, doing some fake news on the podcast. Oh, f- fake news on a podcast? Why is this true and on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Credit to true and on. I don't think they're fake news. They're just creative news. There's a difference. Yeah. Creative news. It's a very marginal but important difference. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, um, like to go back to the the prime directive stuff, and actually as we're on Voyager, so this is the episode, the Omega Directive. Basically, what happens is the the ship detects a a specific molecule that's extremely oh, yeah. fucking dangerous, and would destroy fucking space travel for light years. And no matter the prime directive doesn't apply, you need to get it, you need to capture it, and you need to destroy it and make sure that it can't be made again. So really, um, what they did was they canonised uh, Iraq War Two. Christ, yes, they absolutely did. That's exactly what that is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so barefaced, it's unreal. Um, but that, this is what I mean. It, it's, it's liberal as fuck, because it's only there to do the whole noble savage bit. Mm-hmm. And then when it's not, it's because direct interference sort of feel it's really like here's a problem we all agree with this take i think because like I, I don't know is there anyone here who wants to seriously argue that not uplifting people who are you know suffering under easily curable diseases with antibiotics for example like that's a moral good just to let them fucking wither and die for the sake of some nebulous idea of social progress because that's what it is at the end of the day it's basically going well their society is more important in the long term than any individual life within it which is uh, no fuck you. That's not that's not the social contract at all. It's not even the social no, contract it's... under utilitarian ideologies. Arguably, like communism. Arguably, so it's full bullshit. Yeah, like I mean, there's plenty of episodes where like um, usually like doctor related episodes. So the doctor of the ship ends up 
going somewhere and it's an absolute shithole and everybody's sick and they really need help and then the post-scarcity society just kind of goes, ah, we'll come back to them maybe and then you never know if they do or not, which you can only assume they don't. I mean, the problem is like, it's hard not to be completely and utterly contemptuous of it and at the same time though, it is kind of difficult to try and like to propose an alternative. Like how do you go about it in a way that doesn't necessarily cause more harm than good. I can sort of like, this is the problem, it's a seductive ideology, because it basically says, oh, the problem's too hard. The problem's too hard, you have to leave it alone. The problem's too hard, leave it alone. It's better to be morally pure and blameless than it is to try and fuck up, essentially. I mean, that that's it in a nutshell, yeah. The, the only alternative is like to just, and it, this is basically what the show is, the show, does to some degree and it's inconsistent with it but it does show like oh well if it's a prime directive episode the prime directive is probably going to be violated and the captain of the ship's going to step in and say no we should help and they do help because the morality wins through but it's the fact that this society itself is actually founded on like and works around this being the the prime the most important thing don't help people if they're lesser like it would um I don't know, like, it would be easy to kind of fix it and basically say that a prime directive is, like, some internationally negotiated treaty kind of thing, where it's like, we've agreed with the Klingon Empire, with the Romulans, with the whatever, that none of us will fuck with people who haven't yet achieved warp power. Um, and it's like, it's 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 our one thing we can agree on, and every time you violate it, you risk provoking, like, war or something like that, so that there's actually mm-hmm. a bit of, like, moral stakes to it. And it's the idea is, like, oh, we'd love to go and help, but if we start going to help them, then, you know, the Klingons are going to invade their own ones. And, you know, they'd be like, you could do something with that. But that involves actually having to, you know, have a fucking ethical principle about it. I guess. See, yeah. The the Prime Directive is actually a gamer thing, isn't it? It's like you don't boost those like uh, lesser societies because they won't get the <laughs> achievement for penicillin unless they develop it themselves. That's it. Yep. Can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just, it's bullshit, like, and with Deep Space Nine, because it's orbiting Bajor, and Bajor's not part of the Federation, like, that, that planet's a kind of third party and everything, and they go into a civil war at one point, and the Federation who occupies this station just says, we're out, we're not taking anything to do with this. At the same time, there's another race, the Cardassians, who are just fucking bearing down and getting involved and getting fucking mucky with it, and... Cisco, the, the commander of the station, says the Cardassians may involve themselves in other people's civil wars, but we don't. As if that's like, oh good, you've taken the moral high ground. Like, pick a side. Yeah. Deep Space Nine is definitely the best of the shows, by the way. I'm going to throw that out Oh, far. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I no think, contest. I think, I think there'll be broad agreement on that. Um, yeah. Deep Space and the, Nine. And the Federation is, is Keith Starmer. Oh god. No, but no, <laughs> yeah. but Keith's not well, gonna that... have post scarcity, is he? He's gonna cause scarcity if he somehow wins. <laughs> That's a very valid point. Mm. You'll not catch him making any decisions though. For a real life example of the prime directive that you're all aware of, see those um, reporters we've seen on the boats? Oh, god. That's Jesus. the prime directive in action. That's Jesus what that is. Fucking Christ. God, I'm just Ugh. No fucking lies detected. Yeah, yeah. That was that was who I just got my uh, my twelve hour ban from Twitter for shouting that. 
something something the righteous man something something like oh god you know it kind of is well because literally they had them bailing out the fucking boat you know sailing sailing across the channel bailing out a boat with some kind of like plastic container and the news crews mm-hmm. just blithely commenting on it and yeah. uh like just jesus fucking christ did anyone from the Federation come forward when the, the Prime Directive was criticised, though, and accused the people, like, saying that you should maybe help people who are in clear distress of being racist? Well, see, this is the thing that gets me, like, my argument, I suppose, can, David, can I do my take? Because it kind of segues into this, right? Yeah, go for it, yeah. So, my argument is that, I, I agree, you can frame it as though Star Trek is like a, a liberal version of a utopia. I don't think it is. I think the culture from Dean M. Banks' novels, May He Rest in Peace, they're a liberal utopia. And I can defend that if anyone wants to at me about it. I might. I might later. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, the Federation is a small-c conservative utopia, but it's not immediately obvious until you lift a hood and start to kind of pay attention to the stuff that's under the, under the bonnet, so to speak. Um, and it shows itself in lots of little ways. So... There's the fact that they, they pay lip service to this prime directive, but then violate it all the time. It's like an ongoing thing. That's conservative as fuck. But there's, then there's the subtle things where you start looking at Federation itself, and it's like, hang on, why is it that the Enterprise and the Enterprise ships, why are they all, if this is a multi-planetary you know, planetary Federation, why are they predominantly human-dominated? And why do we hear stories of there being ships which are, oh yeah, there's a ship that's mostly crewed by Vulcans. It's like, well, that's interesting. Why is this organization, Starfleet, why does it have ships which seem to be majority dominated by one, for want of a better word, ethnicity or like species? Why is that a thing? That's a bit I curious. can answer that, actually. Vulcans only fuck once every seven years, so there's not as many of them. Yeah. Also, I was going to say, I, my take was kind of going to be similar to that, only you stole my thunder because it was going to be that the uh, Federation's a fascist utopia. Um <laughs> Well, I mean, we're all, I think we're probably dancing around the same fucking point, to be totally honest, right? <laughs> like, it's the, the the way you can slice them and they all come up very similar. But while I'm on, the, while I'm on a roll here, because we can, this will segue into yours then, because here's the thing. Why don't we actually see any civil protest or why don't we see any democracy in the Federation? Yep. Why doesn't that, you know, we, we hear about it a little bit in like DS9, which is one of the reasons DS9 is like the better of the different series, because it's more a deconstruction. But you don't actually see it. You don't see any political debate within the Federation. You don't see it kind of, you know, talked about or suggested. It's just like, oh, we've solved all our political problems. Political problems were a technical problem. We've now solved them. All our problems are no longer um, intrapolitical. It's no longer internal to ourselves. It's all interpolitical. It's between the Federation and outside forces who are all clearly bloodthirsty warmongers or scheming, scheming Machiavellians or arch capitalists like you know it's always it's always external it seems there's there's no culture of dissent there's no properly articulated counterculture and so you don't get any kind of instance of hearing about people protesting against like the prime directive the prime directive lets another fucking planet blow up and there's you know there's no protest people going we should have helped them instead it's just like accepted orthodoxy you see how difficult it is when there's an election in the present day to get everyone to get off their asses and go and vote Imagine trying to do that if the people who you need to go and vote had access to holodecks and were just too busy wanking. 
<laughs> like I do, I do have a subtake here, which is just a bit of a shit post, which is that holodecks are the apotheosis of incel culture. But uh, I think I think it's I think it's self-explanatory, to be honest. I mean, there's, there's like at least two Jordi LaForge episodes that confirm that take completely. Yeah, like. I don't know. I, I don't think there's much more to be said about that. It's just the, the very idea of, like, I mean, again, DS9, the better show, because it does actually go into it. It has, like, some scumbag tries to get, what's his name? The, the Ferengi guy. Quark, uh, Quark. Quark, yeah. Okay. The best character. But he's pretty Ooh. good. He's he's not quite as good as the Taylor, the Cardassian Taylor. Yes. But he's, he's yes. definitely up there. Um, but yeah, no, we have an episode where he is offered a lot of money to try and get one of the other main cast members, whose name I can't remember at all. She's the Bajoran one. Um, they try to get him to make a holodeck program of her so some other dude can fuck it, essentially. Oh and my that's god. That. Yeah, and it, it turns out eventually, like, he keeps trying these wacky schemes to get her to go on the holodeck, but it's a character point that she doesn't use the holodeck. Why? Who knows? Anyway, and eventually he gives up and just hacks her, her personnel file and biometrics on the station. The, the guy in charge of security finds out about it. And rather than immediately like pull him up, he goes to her first and goes, you should be aware that this guy's hacked all of your uh, your data. And she says, oh, really? Well, I think I know what it might be for. And so essentially they, they get their revenge by rather than like bringing him to justice or anything. Instead, after he's made her program, they hack it and change it to be Quark. So that when the dude who's, who's about to pay him... Um, goes to use it and he's getting ready to to fuck her like the veil parts and it's Quark who's like coming on to him and it's all played up for laughs rather than I was, the I was just going to say it's all it's always a hilarious triumph when you uh, solve like a violation of consent with wacky hijinks yeah exactly right, right? Yeah. <laughs> so holodecks incels apotheosis confirmed I don't at me anymore we've just proved it <laughs> to be fair I think that was pretty much bang on so. <laughs> but uh to, to bring it back for like no like the federation is essentially a political monoculture that has like its ideal of integration is to essentially have enclaves of unitarian kind of ethnic kind of species identity that have a few other outsiders in for for color for texture not any attempt at like serious rapport or kind of like mainstream integration you know, that just, it's not really a thing. And all of their decisions, all of their actions are driven by maintaining their status quo. It's not about improving things for the better. It's not about kind of intruding. And like the Prime Directive, it's not, the Prime Directive, I honestly think, is not driven so much by a desire to, you know, avoid um, causing harm so much as it is a desire to remain blameless and to mm. remain kind of like pure in that sense, which is a bit lib, but it's also very small C conservative, or you don't want to go messing with this stuff. Where, where will it end? If you start giving children free school meals, where will it end? You know, like this kind of shit. It feels more like that to me. But there, there are darker interpretations you can take of it, which leads us to, so Star Trek is fascist. Yes. Um, well, kind of. It, it is It is something of a fascist utopia. Um, so that the point that you made where you're saying there are the aliens in these societies for texture um it always strikes me as weird that the federation exists for so long and so many of the episodes are about oh wow these aliens who have been members of the federation since it was founded are so strange i can't wait to learn more about them and i'm like surely <laughs> if it was an integrate well integrated democratic proper you know like people like to say star trek is a communist utopia of some sort in some way i've seen those memes where they're like where it's Waterworld versus Star Trek, 
and it's like libertarian future, the <laughs> communist future, right? And, um, I'm like, well, surely if that was the case, we wouldn't need to learn about the Vulcans having an intense bout of horniness every seven years, each series of the show. <laughs> okay, I guess in Enterprise it was um, okay because it was pre-Federation, but you shouldn't need to relearn that point over and over again. But there's also yeah. the... Um, so there's no internal conflict that's displayed, except the Marquis who sort of tried to become independent from the Federation. I'm summarizing because it's been ages since I've watched that particular bit of the show. Oh, but, shit. Uh, that's from, that comes up in DS9 and then in Voyager, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think in Voyager, it's the second in command guy who's a Marquis. Um, but. Oh, what, what was his name again? Chakotay. Um, like the, the incredibly lazy kind of racialized stereotype of a first nations person yep oh I'm yeah the, the guy they got on to do the um like the research and all that kind of stuff to help flesh out the character and stuff total fraud had no fucking clue what he was talking about and they yep. just took it all as golden fucking hell yeah you'd think you'd double check that but there's also the fact that the federation so there are the rebooted films and it's referenced in the um in the in the shows as well it's section 31 isn't it it's like the black you know federation black ops who are doing yeah. all of these strange things like trying to instigate wars constantly or you know i think was it um sterilize entire planets or some ridiculous stuff like that it's like like <laughs> yeah, rick and yeah. morty stuff but it's done in star trek so people seem to take it vaguely seriously um that's not really a utopia well it is utopian in one way i guess if your utopia is you get to decide who gets to continue living and who doesn't get to continue living um yeah. but it's it's an incredibly dark t i feel like as it's expanded as the universe expanded from the um original series it just became more fascist i don't know if that's because the world gradually became shitter as time went on but it does seem I like the federation kept as it as its law got fleshed out kept on becoming much more of a from small c conservative probably too much more harder right fascist kind of structures well for, for well, as an example actually that backs up your point um one of the better episodes in next generation uh, the measure of a man oh yeah so that's yeah. yeah that's the one where um basically some scientist wants to study data the android and he wants to take him apart but he doesn't technically have any rights because he's a synthetic life form. He's been built. He's not been born. So he's a kind of legal grey area. And he basically says, no, I'm, I'm going to take him apart. Picard says, no, you're not. And so they have a trial over it. But the trial is adjudicated by, like, some fucking admiral of the area or whatever. Um, Picard is the, the defence lawyer, in effect. And then because they don't have someone handy to do the, um, the, uh, fuck my cop, what's the word again? Prosecution? And the yeah, that's the word. It's not yeah, quite the because, right term for this, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's not prosecution, but yeah, the other side of it, the non-defence. Um, Riker has to step up because he's the next ranking officer, and it's like, this is a, this is a human rights trial, or, or a species rights trial, I suppose, being conducted by the military on all sides, including the adjudication of it. Well, like, see, that's, that's fascist fuck. Yeah, well, see, there's a, there's a fundamental contradiction that's at the heart of this. And, like, okay, so one of the points we're dancing around is that this is all just reflective of the fact it's, you know, there's a lot of constraints of the medium. Like, why do we constantly have to be reintroduced to the Vulcans having all the strange sex stuff? It's because 
every new season has new viewers and essentially the TV show wants to bring people up to speed and the writers are pretty lazy, you know. Um, but in the same way, Star Trek is a reflection of American culture. And at the core, it's got this quasi-military organization, Starfleet, which has explicitly militaristic kind of ranks and structures. And that's seen in a very Starship Troopers kind of way as being like, you want to make something of yourself, you want to be a citizen, um, then you have to go into Starfleet, essentially, is kind of the implication. Um, that really comes up to before in like Deep Space Nine. It's like really played up quite hard. Mm. And you have this thing where it's like, okay, so so this is the body that de facto is the backbone of the Federation because it's running around doing everything. And yet it's organized along kind of military lines. It uses kind of military law, as you're you know, pointing out, David, to decide things like human rights cases, potentially, or sentience rights cases, whatever. Like, that is the central contradiction. You can't in any way, shape or form claim it's some kind of communist, you know, future if it's fundamentally based around a militaristic, like, organ like that. It just, it doesn't work. See, as well, um, I was going to say about Section 31 and stuff. A lot of the times um, they, they sort of use secret intelligence services as villains in Star Trek, mm-hmm. um, but they never sort of reach, the, they always sort of sort of reach the con- grudgingly reach the conclusion that, well, they're a necessary evil. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we need we need to do the odd regime change. That's the cost of, like, having a, a peaceful utopia. Um, but if you want to see Star Trek go full fash, they are actually doing a Section 31 spin-off show, I think. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Can't wait to be <sighs> proven right by that. Yeah. <laughs> is it, is I, it imagine gonna... it's, I imagine it's just going to be like the Hawaii Five or reboot, but in space. No, it'll probably, it'll probably be like that British drama Spooks, was it called? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I watched like two episodes of that. One, because I was like, all right, I'll see what it's like then. Um, and then I went, holy fucking shit, this is, this is actually making me mad. And I wasn't even, like, I wasn't an anarchist or anything at this point. I was just looking at it going, this is bullshit. And then I watched the second episode because I couldn't believe what I'd just seen. I was like, okay, maybe maybe that's just a bad episode that's weird, like... Because I've heard that this was getting praised in a lot of like papers and stuff. So oh yeah, it was it, big. And then I watched it. And I was like, oh no, no, no! Actually, they are holding up that performing extrajudicial, extraordinary rendition and framing a guy as being a paedophile is appropriate justice for this pre-crime that he committed because he was planning to do a terrorist plot. Like that was a thing in the show. And I was just like, are you kidding me? So they get this guy because they they've got he's planning to do something. He's not done something. He's planning to do something. And so the way they handle it with diplomacy is to frame him as being a paedophile and then get him extraordinary rendition to Egypt, um, extra legally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're getting a little bit off topic, but how far back do you think you have to go before, like, you know, cop shows? And, and I use the, the term cop to include, like, spies and, and whatever else. Aye. How mm. far back do you think you have to go before cop shows, like, aren't just propaganda for... Oh, you could be killed at any moment by lurking like terrorists and criminals, and the only the only people that can save you are the cop who breaks all the rules and throws due process out of the window. Like, there's only, there's were they were they going show. around like like clobbering suspects and and framing them in Dixon of Doc Green and stuff like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they pre- pretty much all been apart from one show that I know of, um, which has vanished off the face of the earth, and you understand why in a second. 
It was produced by, I want to say the BBC or Channel 4. It was one of the two of them. It was in the 90s and it was called The Cops, right? And um, it had full police cooperation for the first season and then none of the remaining seasons. And the reason is it shows them as they are because the opening shot is some lassie doing drugs and partying at a nightclub all the way through the night. And then she gets to morning and she goes, oh shit, I got to go to work. And she gets into the locker room and she's a cop. And that's like, that's the setup <laughs> for the show essentially. And it's just showing you like a very raw view of all the shit they dealt with. So they're doing good shit. Like they're breaking up domestics and they're talking down a suicide and then talking down a suicide unsuccessfully. And it shows you how fucked up the cop is by that. Cause he, he genuinely wanted to talk to the guy. I didn't want to see the guy jump off a car park. But it's also showing you them doing all the other shit, like um, planting drugs on someone to fit him up because he like ran away and the partner chasing him had a heart attack and just lots of petty shit and like actually corrupt cops as well. And, you know, for the first season, it was all based on stories that the police themselves gave them. Um, and then that that went out and it got nominated for a few awards, didn't win any mysteriously, didn't get any further support from the police for later seasons and just has vanished off. Excuse me vanished off the face of the earth like you can it, they, they released it on vhs and it's a good show this is the thing it's a genuinely good tv um just no vanished off the face of the earth i had to wire money to a guy in israel to burn it to dvd and post it to me in order to get to watch <laughs> like beyond the first couple of episodes um it's that like it's it's been fucking memory hold it's really quite shocking See, now that you've confessed to a crime on the podcast you're going to get extraordinary rendition to egypt by the spooks <laughs> <laughs> like, well, here's the thing actually um like if, if the rights holder want to have a go at me for piracy then they're gonna have to prove i did it so fuck them anyway um because this is not a confession i could just be making this up this is a shit post right anyway. that's right nothing yeah, we say here parody. is true it's all yeah. just a parody in minecraft yeah parody redacted <laughs> in minecraft so so anyway, like that... we talked about star trek at some point yeah we were meant to be <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing though like section 31 when it was initially introduced which i believe and tell me if i'm wrong it was it was in deep space nine um it didn't appear in the next generation as far as i know okay i'll take that as red i'm, I'm having um, a, i'm having a look now i'm googling this oh yeah, god i'm getting fact checked in real time here yeah that's right um so, what, am i on am i on question time or have i got news for you here this feels like uh really serious journalism taking place no, it's a debate. Joe Biden will be out in a minute. Yeah. Oh God, I can't. I want the Biden, um, the Biden Trump debate. It's going to be so good. It's going to rule. I'm so excited. <laughs> it's. Uh, I mean, it's strange that we keep talking about cops, but I mean, Kamala. That's a... <laughs> oh yeah. She she would be the head of Section Thirty One in the Star Trek universe. In a fucking heartbeat, like you know, it would be. Hey, Kamala, do you want the presidency or do you want to run like you know future CIA? And there'd just be a small thunderclap from her running over to Langley, like... <laughs> or Space Langley, then. Yeah, Langley. so Section 31 appear in Deep Space Nine, one of the Star Trek films, uh, Star Trek Discovery, and Enterprise. So they don't appear in The Next Generation. Cool, right. So my understanding of, of Section 31, because, like, I right, so background, I watched Deep Space Nine and some of The Next Generation because I'd come home from school and my dad would have it on the TV and it'd be on right then. And so I just, like, to keep him company... I started watching it with him, and so that's how I saw like Star Trek. I'm not a huge Trekkie or anything, um, or Trekker or whatever the fuck they prefer to be called. And so, like when I saw the stuff in Section Thirty One, it seemed like they were doing quite an interesting, nuanced like criticism. Because my take on Deep Space Nine is it's a deconstruction 
of the Federation and going, well, what are all the things that aren't being addressed, right? Mm -hmm. And the character of the Doctor in Deep Space Nine, whose name I forget, it's like Dr. No, it's Bashir. Bashir. Julian something. Yeah, Julian Bashir. Yeah, there you go. So like it comes out during the show that he has been genetically modified, which is apparently a big fucking no-no in like, you know, the, the future Star Trek. There's like no no genetic modification of children. Yeah, because that's is... how you that's how you get Khan. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Apparently. You know, you can't you can't do anything like that because then it'll lead to blood superiority and all this kind of shit. But they, they, it turns out that this he's estranged from his parents because he found this out. They did it to him when he was a kid. He gave no consent. Um, it's because it's strongly implied that he was like slow before this was done to him. Um, and he's estranged from them. And he shouldn't be a member of Starfleet because apparently it's illegal. You, you can get it done, apparently, but you can't be a member of Starfleet if you've had it done. Whatever. Right. Sure. Um, and the resolution we come up with on that whole plot beat is that his father confesses to the crime and his father goes to prison for it on the condition that Julian's allowed to stay in Starfleet because he didn't do anything wrong and that's like seen as being okay. And then after that, Section 31 came in. And the other thing about Julian is he's got all these James Bond kind of, that's his fantasy. He's playing on a holodeck as James Bond, like he's, you know, guns, girls, the whole shebang. Um, which is, you know, okay, cute character to be like this this nerdy doctor wants to be like the leading man. But then they introduce Section 31, and Section 31 is like what James Bond would actually be. Like they're clearly up to no fucking good. And they're essentially like grooming him slash like testing him for recruitment. Um, and the show unambiguously shows them to be bad and shows like Julian's fantasies to be wrong. And it explicitly like, it doesn't outright say it, but I think it's pretty well encoded that here's this guy who is like an ubermensch. He has like been genetically modified. He is smarter and better than ordinary people. Um, and he's got these fantasies of being this slick operator who's a cut above that then when he's confronted with the reality of it, he's like, oh God, no, this is actually, these people are bad. These people are gross. What they're doing is is not cool. And I'm not comfortable with it at all. And I always thought that was like, a, that was a good criticism, a good kind of takedown of the mythology of it. It's kind of going, look, if if he went through with this, he'd basically be a fascist and he knows it. So he doesn't and he won't. And it's like one of the few points where I was like, okay, that's actually handled quite deftly because they never they never come out and draw the whole, like, you know, his superior genetics combined with this kind of social role and thing. They don't, they don't like, you know, completely lay it on with a trowel, but it's just, it's, it's there. The problem is that as with everything in DS9, the later Star Trek's just looked at it and took it all at face value and went, oh yeah, Section 31, that's fucking great. That gets me hard. Let's do an entire fucking TV show about Section 31 and why they're such badasses. So it, it doesn't, it, it, it's no longer, the thing that was put together as a criticism of something different has now become the thing itself, you know? And mm. I guess, I, I think that's the issue with that kind of shit. And I think a lot of it goes back to DS9, which was a good show, but unfortunately... In this world we have today, the criticisms just get taken as being just statements of truth for fact. Well, it wasn't um, just, well before before I go on to the next thought, just to to call back to what you said at the start of that about what um, what Star Trek fans like to be called. It's um, it's either Hoovians or Star Wars nerds. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, makes sense. Checks out. Um, but no, I was I was just going to say that uh, Discovery, which is the one that had. Um, a, a big role for Section 31 and, and is doing a spin-off based on Section 31. Wasn't that put together by the two dorks that did the Hawaii Five-O reboot? <laughs> <laughs>
That wouldn't fucking surprise me. It's the kind of hell knowledge that only you would have. They're the guys that wrote the um, the Abrams Star Treks as well. Yeah. Oh, no. I quite liked the first of the Abrams Star Treks. I'm not the sorry. first one was fine. It was fine as for what it was. It, it was alright. Apart from the whole like weird fucking choice that's doomed any future like original kind of ideas continuation. Um, yeah. Like it, it, it was a decent enough film on its own. The second one, no, absolute fucking trash. Oh no! Like I mean, yeah. we, we alluded to it before, but it is dog shit. My favorite part of um, Star Star Trek Into Darkness is that the one. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite part of that is where they phone original Spock to ask him how to like how to beat the boss. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I wish I could call a future version of myself to figure out how to fuck to solve my problems. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just incredible. It's like this this the, and these guys are two of the most like sought after writers in Hollywood. I'm just and it's I'm, easy to see why. I'll just get I'm seventy just, year old me on the phone and ask him what I can do to sort my life out real quick. Sorry guys. Uh, it's it's literally it's it's a reverse back to the future, isn't it? Like Spock comes <laughs> back with an almanac on how to defeat all of his greatest enemies. <laughs> it's the one weird trick they don't want you to know. <laughs> Ever since you said it, I'm sorry, you know the, the musical sting from Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Do, 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 do. I've got that stuck in my head with like young Spock going, I'd, I'd like to use a lifeline, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to call myself. I was just I was just genuinely in awe when I saw that moment. I was like, you 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 had no way you have the brass fucking balls to put this in a film. I must be hallucinating. But no, it was real. <laughs> so fair play, fair play to them, you know what I mean? The bit, the, the bit in the film which made me want to walk out of the cinema, and I didn't because I was with people and I'm like, I'm not going to be that dick. Um, they had the just a random tribbles, just out of nowhere. Just, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. McCoy, what are you doing with that tribble? And it's like, what? Hang on, there's like fucking whiplash here because like they're a fan favourite, sure, but aren't they a fan favourite because it was a silly, stupid thing and also they were incredibly dangerous and were multi- like, hang on, why are you just randomly throwing it? Oh, you're just randomly doing animal testing on these things what huh like just but if they don't if they don't set up that he's found a way to like bring the tribbles back from the dead then you'll you'll be totally fooled by the idea that kirk is the one that's going to die in the reactor this time you know what i mean that that completely believable twist that surprised everyone after the twist that like fucking sherlock was actually Khan. It's, it's just, God. Do you know, right, actually, just apropos of nothing, the original Wrath of Khan movie is extremely good and holds up without, like, you can look at it as a movie without any of the, the Star Trek kind of stuff to it, and it's a good movie because it's a submarine movie in space with a bit of Shakespeare, right? And it's uh, it's actually got a subtext. It's got a subtext about aging and death and renewal, and it's, it's good. The only things where it falls down is you need to know who... Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are going into it, which I think is fair enough because all of all of Western culture knows who they are after America did their thing. Oh, but um, does it does it end with the the Enterprise crashing into San Francisco? <laughs> God, because, you know, Jamie. Because if you don't do if you don't do super turbo space nine eleven, is it, it did your film really happen? <laughs> you know, Jamie, I had actually blocked that out. Well, I'm not, this isn't a bit, I'm not doing this for comic effect. Genuinely, my brain had blocked that whole shit out. I just excised it. And you've said it and it's like a fucking dam has come down. And I'm like, oh yeah, they crash, they, they crash a spaceship the size of San Francisco into future San Francisco. 
and people on it survive, and it's just fucking hell. Like, very realistic God, that's physics. so bad. Very realistic physics. It's just the um, it's the incredibly wearying constant escalation of Hollywood stakes. Do you know what I mean? It's not yeah. enough for you to just have a, a reason to do something anymore. There's got to be like millions upon millions of lives on the line. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it obviously, obviously, we're gonna we're gonna have a, a while to go before we we beat Avengers End Games. What if half of everything in the universe died <laughs> and then got better? Um, but you know that's that's sort of like that should hold us for at least a couple of years before anyone feels the need to top that. But it is just that whole thing. It's like, well, it's not enough that like you know um, they they just like they really don't like Benedict Cumberbatch, and who does really? Um, and it's not enough that they've got reasons to want to stop his evil scheme and everything. Also, like they have to do nine eleven on a on a bigger scale because that's how that's how you know it's important. I was going to say unfairness, but it's not really unfairness at all. But it's on brand at this point because, like, Star Trek Enterprise started there in like, in in the month of September eleventh. Yeah. Like, and by the end of that first season, they decided they were going to go for an entire plot arc where someone basically does nine eleven on Earth. Oh, is that the one with like the future stuff and they wipe out? Oh yeah, because any the temporal cold war, yeah, it, it gets yeah. fucking, it goes oh, some God, weird that's ass places. So weird. What a what a yeah. bizarre storyline. It's one of those ones where the premise of it, like that, could actually be done quite well, but it was really fucking weirdly handled. But then was it was, it, was fucking it, Berman and Braga? So was it Frank Miller's Star Trek? <laughs> I mean, it felt like it was. I like I I actually I watched a little bit of it. Like, okay, so I tapped out during Voyager because, like, I was watching it with my dad and, you know, it was more to humor him and I was like, wow, this DS9 is actually quite good. So then Voyager starts and that opinion rapidly shifted. Um, but I stayed with it for a while and eventually I gave up a little bit after 709 kind of came into it. Then they said, we're doing Enterprise and it's different. My brother was talking about it and going, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's really good. We don't have transporters. We're only used for, like, cargo and, you know, they're missing lots of the technology and so there's not going to be the same techno babble which I thought is really fucking funny in retrospect. And like, so I, I tried watching some of it and I'm like, this is bad. Like, okay, Quantum Leap guy is finally getting his time in the sun again, but that's about... <laughs> yeah, I was I was literally about to bring up the fact that it was Sam from Quantum Leap. <laughs> like, yeah, Jesus. But uh, it, just, it's just, it just wasn't good. And then I later came back in, like caught little bits and pieces. Like, you know, you're wandering in and out of the living room as you, you know, your elderly geriatric parent is watching uh, like... Star Trek and TV and stuff. So you can't like I caught quite a bit of NCIS as well, just from like latent exposure. And you know that way you see something on the screen and you're like, what the fuck is this? And you just stand there and watch it for like 10 minutes and then shake your head and leave. That was my experience of Star Trek Enterprise, basically. Seeing shit like that, including the end of that episode where it's like, okay, we've taken them back to the future to save them from the time terrorists, and oh my god, the future's been destroyed. And it's like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, how does this, if you're time traveling when the change is made, are you immune to, how does, what? What's the logic of this? And so I asked a friend who like really likes it and he goes, oh, it's not really explained really. I was like, oh, oh, I see. <laughs> this this is why I hate time travel. I hate time travel so much in so many stories. It just hurts my brain seeing people try to do rationalize time travel in anything because it means they bungle the story every time. There's only one good use of time travel and it's the Terminator use of time travel where rules don't fucking matter. Things just happen. You just deal with it. 
Yeah, actually, exactly. I, would, I would argue that the um, the the better implementation of time travel is Looper, where like Bruce Willis just gets really angry when it's brought up and says not to mention it ever again. <laughs> <laughs> also, also known as the fucking um, Endgame implementation of time travel, where they start doing this whole thing and then they just go, ah, don't think about it, and it's like, all right, okay, I guess this thing that the entire ending hinges on, we're just gonna. We're just gonna roll with it and accept that it all makes sense, even when it doesn't. To be fair, like to be fair, the Avengers Endgame time travel thing was the one that made the most sense of anything I've seen in in any sort of media. So, oh, I'd a hard disagree, man. Really just, hard disagree. Just just to bring it round again, um, Captain America did nine eleven by not intervening. I'm just putting that out there. Well, it's yeah, the prime directive, man. Yeah, prime directive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've been talking about the prime See, directive. See the zenith of liberal ideology. <laughs> oh, like, I'm proven but, um, right by Captain America. How yes. fucking awful is that? I, I think you'll find that my small C conservative federation has been proven right by Captain America. <laughs> God, don't don't start me on Captain America, otherwise I'm going to go completely mental. Um, <laughs> do you oh. think they have this shit in like like you know? Okay, let's. This is really like off topic but in the federation do you think they have all this retro shit on like comic books and stuff which obviously we don't include for like licensing reasons or whatever but you see all this shit about like they're all weirdly obsessed with americana of like the 20th and 21st century i was just like, gonna say like if, if anyone's got a collection of like 20th century comic books it's that lad from deep space nine which lad the the, the like fucking captain of deep space nine i can't remember his name yeah with his fucking baseball um, yeah. yeah he's like is cisco it's Cisco, yeah. No, you're all forgetting about one Tom Paris. Oh, he was God, the, yeah. The pilot on Voyager who, like, made a point of being on the holodeck and building a car that he couldn't drive. Uh, can you not Can you not drive on the holodeck? Like? No, I'm pretty sure he, like, replicated all the parts or some shit like that. He actually built a fucking car. Like, the, the whole thing with that is that it's the whole, oh, you know, the, the joy is in building, the, it's the craft of the machine, not about the actual, like, actually joyous experience part of it. No, it's all about the really nerding out on this Americana. Like, it, it's that fucking Joe Biden presidential advert oh, who's going, my dad's Christ. car. I love the car. I love that ad so much. It's one of my favourite ones. <laughs> just It just makes me laugh every time so much. A lot, a lot would be explained if Joe Biden thought he was on the holodeck. Oh my that, God, that's why yes. he is the way he is. That's my new favorite theory now. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, when you when you said he, he's built a car that he can't drive, I just I, my my first thought was they never actually got around to programming like vehicle physics into the holodeck because everyone just uses it for wanking. <laughs> they, they just have the Euro Truck Simulator physics because they never bothered updating it. Yeah, they've got strangely detailed physics on like you know boob jiggle etc. But when it comes to it's it, like it's, a it's fucking fully. Gun. It's fully 3D photorealistic and you can disengage the safety protocols if you need to kill Borg with a Tommy gun. But when you get in a car and drive somewhere, it's like Outrun. It's the ultimate weeb accessory, the holodeck. <laughs> it pretty much is. Oh, man. Just have to bring in a, a, one of those steering wheels and pedals set from Thrustmaster or something. Oh, oh. Do you think the holodeck was available in one of those old sit-down cabinets you used to get in arcades in the 80s? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's at the back of all the Star Trek Bond stores, surely. I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna pull back to Enterprise a little bit, and and the nine eleven stuff because like Star Trek does, it becomes post nine eleven, and yes, it, it does, rem, and it very much remains immediately post nine eleven throughout. Yep. But 
Enterprise itself is this it's really fucking weird in the the kind of morality politics stuff that it does. And I, I've got an episode that I did a rewatch of um, all like through lockdown. I just rewatched all the Star Treks and I got it to Enterprise and I hadn't actually ever sat and watched all of it before. And I thought, I've fucking done the rest of them. I'll do this one as well. Fuck it. And I came across an episode that just left me like fucking full on gobsmacked at like, how did this happen? And what I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna blitz through the plot of it from Wikipedia because I can't tell fucking stories and I miss something, so I'll just go through this just now. All right, we're here for it. Let's go. Right. So while exploring a hypergiant star, the Enterprise makes first contact with an advanced and very friendly alien race known as the Vicians. The two starship crews are happy to intermingle. Commander Tucker, who's the engineer, becomes intrigued when he meets a Vician couple in the mess hall, accompanied by a third member of the race, and learns that the being which has no name, is a cogenitor, a third gender in Visean biology. Cogenitors are needed to complete reproduction. Um, they, they don't genetically contribute to the offspring, but they supply an enzyme required for fertilisation. And they only constitute 3% of the population, so Visians must apply to have a cogenitor assigned to them when they intend to conceive a child. Cogenitors are considered mentally deficient and are not citizens on equal terms with men and women. Now, so far, so good. That sounds like a really fucking interesting little plot to explore, doesn't it? I mean, that yeah. sounds that sounds like something you would find on DeviantArt, like, you know what I mean? Oh, God. Well, <laughs> supply an enzyme required for procreation. It's like all of the Sonic do. fan art described perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the Sonic Tails Knuckles triad now makes perfect fucking sense. <laughs> we solved it. We solved DeviantArt, everyone. We can go home. For real, do you know, I actually, I can see where they got that from. That is from a culture novel. It's from the player of games. Yep. And what mm-hmm. we've done is they've reversed the supplier the of enzymes. <laughs> yeah. No. In, the, uh, in the player of games, they have an alien race where they have people who do the kind of incubation, the people who provide like the semen, and then like one in between them who provide the eggs, essentially. So it's like, it, it, you know. And that one in the middle is the dominant sex because yeah. they can dominate, like no reproduction can happen without their say-so essentially. And so it's like, like he does some interesting things with it. So clearly given the publication time, etc., they must have read this and thought, well, oh, this could be interesting and done something with it. So carry on, David. Right. Meanwhile, elsewhere on the ship, Lieutenant Reed finds himself the romantic focus of a female Vicene crew member, the tactical officer. Captain Archer bonds with the alien captain while on a three-day reconnaissance of the star in a small probe. Tucker, however, becomes increasingly intent on the rights of the cogenitor and learns with the help of the Doctor that they are actually equally intelligent. On the alien vessel, without the couple's knowledge, Tucker secretly encourages the cogenitor to learn to read while building a friendship with them. Despite having a near total lack of education available, they are an insatiable learner. Soon learning the importance of names, they then ask to be called Charles, which is Commander Tucker's own first name. Charles soon realises that future life in Visean society would be unfulfilling. They then leave and request political asylum on the Enterprise. Archer returns to find himself in the middle of a first contact diplomatic crisis, with the Visians confused and defensive at Tucker's interference in their traditions. Tucker appeals to Archer's sense of justice, but he sides with the Visians. With the cogenitor returned, the Visians hope good relations with the humans can continue. Later communications, however, reveal that the now despondent Charles has committed suicide, thereby delaying the birth of the Visians' child and straining the relations between the two species. 
Archer then summons Tucker and severely reprimands him for his lack of professionalism and judgment. So end episode. So Tucker goes on, he like leaves the series, he, he quits, he's like, no, I'm working for an arsehole in an organization of monsters. Um and he, he you know he quits and there's a spin-off show about him like fighting for you know reform of the Fed, like you know any of that no there's a spin-off no. show where he opens like a little his own little store and just picture like a little greengrocer's but the sign says like tucker and sons enzyme supplier <laughs> <laughs> yeah it just um no it just ends the episode ends right there he looks really sad and that's it that's the end of the episode the lesson was don't help people Fucking Christ. Like, I genuinely can't wrap my head around why you think that's... I mean, I, okay, okay, I suppose I can, because if you're a massive fucking lib, then mm-hmm. that seems like a reasonable thing to do. Like, oh, what about unintended consequences? You wanted to give everyone civil rights, but oh, look, now we've got now we've got problems. Now we've got riots and shit. Like, you know, I, it's... Yeah. I think, like... I think the intent of it was more on the, the, the side of Archer to try and build up because it's part of the plot arc at this point like they're they're away in space they've never been in before to track down the people who built the weapon at 9-11 death and they're desperate and they're getting more and more desperate for any help they can get and Archer's like insisting on this episode that we need to, this all needs to go really well because these it doesn't say that in the synopsis there but the the Viseans are like years and years ahead of any earthship so they're really hopeful they can get some new technology off them and stuff like that. And I don't know if it's supposed to be like showing the desperation they're at that they're now starting to like sacrifice Barat, but all it does is just leave everyone involved apart from Tucker looking like a complete cunt. It's kind of like the whole uh, let's suck up to these Viseans so we can get the oil from their country and ignore their human rights abuses at the same time, kind of. Yeah, it very much is that, yeah. It's space Saudi Arabia. Yeah, shit. I hadn't even jumped out. I mean, I knew that something was wrong with it in a very specific way, but I hadn't considered. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's it's just Middle Eastern, Western foreign uh, foreign policy. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like in Deep Space Nine because when I first started watching that with my dad, I was like, "There's something weird with these Bajorans." Then it clicked. Oh, oh, right, I see. They're meant to be like the Jewish diaspora almost, um, because you know they're, they're Israel essentially post the whole Cardassians who are the Nazis invading, that's what they're going for. But then they seem to change their mind on this and they made them uh, Tibetan instead, essentially. And there was like yeah. a really weird kind of shift in tone as that kind of clunked back into its new position. Um, mm-hmm. Which was, it, I always like, I remember at the time I was like, well, this is really weird because it feels like the Ferengi are being set up as an incredibly like anti-Semitic caricature. And I wasn't like particularly you know um politically and you know inclined at the time like i wasn't you know aware on these things but even i was kind of going so they've got big ears and they're incredibly greedy and they're all merchants and their religion and society is all about money this sounds a bit close to yeah like sounds a bit close to jk Rowland's banking goblins <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, oh wait, the dates don't work out for her to be inspired by that. I don't think, or maybe they do. No, they do because the Ferengis show up in the next generation, so the Ferengis like definitely before Harry Potter. All right, well there you go. I think we may have solved that a mystery. <laughs> 
That would yeah. be quite funny. So I'm just imagining now J.K. Rowling as all the tweets are coming in, going, "Oh, you made all these, you know, goblin bankers like anti-Semitic tropes." She's sitting there going, well, "It wasn't me. I was just ripping off this this other thing." <laughs> but I can't say that now, can I? Fuck. Yeah, I know what you're saying with that, but it all comes back to what you were saying about how Deep Space Nine is really just an analysis of the Federation, and it. it all of the non-Federation characters are all, like, really supposed to represent, like, human traits that don't exist in space future. I suppose so. Like, I'm reminded, I saw this clip recently, because I've done a little bit, like, cursory kind of reminding myself of this episode, and I saw a clip of him and Quark having a drink together, where Quark mm. gives him root beer. Oh, it's the Federation oh, yeah, one. Yeah. They have to be saved by the Federation. Yeah. And, like, you know... That was very interesting to watch because it was almost like um, it, it felt kind of weird tonally because they were giving comments on the way the Federation is, which didn't actually track with the criticisms the show itself was making of the Federation. It was very strange, but very well acted. Like I, I enjoyed it as like a little character moment thing when I watched it. As Garrick goes into Quark's bar, and he asks for like some drink, and Quark goes on the house. He gives him the whole bottle because only Cardassians yeah. drink it. And yeah, and like the way things are going, he's never going to have any other Cardassian cult, uh, customers. And he's got a whole cellar full of it. And so this gets them talking. And so Quark says, "You need to try this," and gives him root beer. And so he tries it, and he's like, "Ugh!" And Quark's like, "The thing is, it's so cloying and sweet, but you drink it's enough insidious. of it, you start yeah, yeah, you start to like it." Then it's section thirty-one. Yeah, next thing you know, you're rooting for the destruction of your own homeworld. Man. It's, I don't know, it's like, I do think that a lot of the problems with modern Star Trek, because, like, okay, full disclosure, I have not watched Discovery. I'm not the slightest bit fucking interested in watching Discovery. I've seen the trailer, and like five seconds of that trailer, much like with um, J- uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, just a short look at the trailer. Oh, was, was there fucking to... lava in it? I mean, there might as well have been, to be perfectly fucking frank with you. Like, and, and here's the thing, like, Star Trek gets a pass for a lot of physics stuff, because it's always been space wizardry, right? Um, but still, what's different in this one is we've just totally disregarded, by the, by the looks of it and from everything I've heard since, we've disregarded all the things that made Star Trek actually interesting, which is that it's a character drama wedded to a sociological drama. And it's a, it's a slow sociological drama and it's often a bit kind of didactic black and white in places and sometimes they're just a bit fucking crazy, frankly. But, I mean, it is at least some kind of, like, drama where there's, like, questions and quandaries, etc. That seems to be right out the fucking window. And, like, Picard, same sort of fucking thing. And it's all because it's become obsessed with a superficial aesthetic rather than with the substance of the thing. And I think that comes from them basically looking at Deep Space Nine and going, oh, it's the most well-regarded one. It's gritty and dark and, you know, we, sh- we should take that aesthetic and make that, that's what Trek should be, should become, not realising that the darkness came from, like, an actual careful consideration. It's, um, it's that thing from Demolition Man where all restaurants are Taco Bell. <laughs> um, do you know what I mean? You, can, you, you want to bring back Star Trek because a lot of people really like Star Trek. But, um, you know, also you don't want to just do Star Trek because a lot of people didn't like Star Trek. So you try to do Star Trek, but you try to make it more like just of a modern sort of show where it's it's superficially Star Trek. But like, you know, it, it has to be more like just uh, like a Tom Clancy thing or something. You know what I mean? 
Um, like Discovery, for example, gets better in the gets better in the second season, but that's that's a pretty low bar to clear because the yeah. I think the first episode of season one of Discovery has them doing war crimes. Yes, yeah, and I then heard it's that. just never mentioned again. Just casually like, sweep it under the rug. Oh, I wonder what that reminds me of. You, yeah, yeah, you, you, they, they do <laughs> they do a clear war crime, and you think, well, that's going to come back again, isn't it? Because like, what about this war crime they did? That's very unfair. No, they just they just don't mention it. It's just cool. Like, see, when I was watching Voyager, because like I said, I watched the first bit of Voyager. The first episode of that has them getting that, um, God, is Paris, was it you said earlier? Yeah. They have, yeah like, he is in a prison. He's been locked up by the Federation in like Norwegian prison plus, essentially. Um, he's, because... well, he's in New Zealand, which is a prison in the Star Trek <laughs> universe. Oh yeah, it is. It's a Federation p- penal colony, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Like... Okay. Yeah. Sure. All right. All right. Star Trek. Whatever. Um. Yeah. They had him. He's in there because he formerly was a member of this like rebellion group kind of thing, and he's got actual political differences to the Federation. And Janeway comes to get him because she's like, "Look, we need to uh, like we need to track these people down. They're gonna get a lot of people killed. Blah blah. I want you to come and be my like you know person to to help me out." And he's like, "Well, why would you? I'm a criminal, and I'm formally associated with them." And she's like, "Well, I believe in redemption." And all I can do is give you the, you know, like, and I was watching this going, this looks interesting. This looks like we're going to have a character who's actually got an alternate perspective on shit and who doesn't always play by it. Like, this could be, this could be an interesting, and we don't fucking do anything with it. It's yeah. like, it is barely brought up. And when it is brought up, it's brought up in a very black and white. Oh, you know, I was a criminal, kind of, I was a bad one, but now I'm reformed kind of way. It's just, it's, it's complete garbage. Yeah, and- Voyager's the ultimate expression of wasted potential of a story idea. To be honest, like Voyager is Star Trek descending into fascism in real time, right alongside America. Um, Voyager, Voyager is that because I mean, it just it, it it you see it straight away. Like the American neurosis about everything post nine eleven is reflected in the character of Janeway and how she is so inconsistently written because three different writers were warring over who she should be, and so she ends up being just this fascist psychopath. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Kate Mulgrew specifically just started to play her as completely unhinged because she had no idea what the character was. <laughs> that's that's a great yeah. solution um, to the bad writing problem. Just play your character yeah. like them; yeah. they're unhinged, and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if you want to, if you want to sort of discuss what Voyager is, it's live action Ulysses Thirty One. Well, I guess I'm the only person here who remembers Ulysses Thirty One. Then you might be, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd, honestly, Jamie, I'm feeling like a fetus all of a sudden. What it was, was it was a it was a French anime in the eighties, and it was it was basically a retelling of like Ulysses, but in the in a in the future on a spaceship. So I'm gonna look that up real quick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a this is a deep fucking cut. I've got to say, uh, I didn't. I'll be honest. I never saw you as the sort of person who'd be into anime. Jamie, oh my god, the art it, style! Like, I am so into the art style and one of the characters. Looks like every All single right, fuck- 80s front hair metal front man. Oh. Okay, fuck the podcast. I'm, I'm putting a picture I'm, in. I'm, I'm putting a picture this. in. Hold on. <laughs> what the hell is this? Oh my god. <laughs> it's every hair metal front man in history talking to some child and some blue alien child. Well, uh, David, I think we've got the logo for the this episode of the podcast too perfectly. <laughs> I mean, if this you is, died, this if, is too good not to if share. If you turned the guy's hair color black, it would basically look like me. So, 
Oh, I feel a Photoshop challenge coming. Oh, no. There's already a Photoshop <laughs> of me at the Cadaver Synod, so... Um... <laughs> That's fucking... That is metal. That is, that is totally metal. Yeah. I, I was trying Tony oh. Blair, I think, was how it was going. He's already got the Cadaver Rectus Grim, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Oh, if only we could try Tony Blair. Oh, can we get someone to Section 31 Tony Blair? No. No, you can't get someone to Section 31 in because I guarantee you, within like a week, he'd be like running it or something like Him that. Him and Kamala, tag like... team. The winning team. You Biden should step aside for Tony Blair. That's the hot take now. <laughs> yeah, within a week of taking over Section 31, Tony Blair's got them all working on the internet time zone. <laughs> <laughs> No, the, the oh. subspace time zone, surely. The subspace time zone. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Oh. I'm just thinking, this show is developing lore. We've now got, I'm the one who's really hot about lava. Jamie is into the internet time zone. What's David's thing? Enzyme supplier. Oh god. <laughs> That's going to be fan art waiting to happen. Oh, Christ. Absolutely. Right, do we have some sort of conclusion about Star Trek and or Ulysses 31? Then? <laughs> well, I'm going to watch Ulysses 31, so that's a whole thing. It's got a really it's got a really catchy theme tune. Oh, yes. That's my favourite thing about animes, is when they have a catchy theme tune. Wasn't, hang on a minute, wasn't there a Star Trek cartoon? Yes. Yeah. There was an animated series, yeah. In fact, there's now two animated series. Oh, shit. Sh- oh, because there's a new one that I think's just Rick and Morty, but Starfleet. Yeah, it's, oh, yeah. it's the Rick and Morty art style, kind of, because it's the cheapest mm-hmm. one to yeah. animate. And the, and the humour, too. I've seen the trailer for that, actually. This is another thing that I apparently repressed in like a huge state to get away from, because <laughs> uh, it, was, it was bad. It was, I it haven't was really checked fucking out yet. bad. I will, I, yeah, I mean, I, I will give it a chance. I've learned to not base the trailer on like actually being representative of the final product, so I'll give it a go. Um, but yeah, to summarise, um, the best Star Trek series is the Orville. So I've not actually seen the Orville. Is it actually good as Star Trek or what? It is very much um the next generation, but with a kind of now budget, um, but more up to date. More, it feels more relevant to now. Um, right, but it has Seth MacFarlane in, doesn't it? It does have Seth MacFarlane in, but it is absolutely a labour of love from Seth MacFarlane because he fucking loves The Next Generation and it it shows, it really does show. I, I genuinely think it's a really good show. Hmm. But it but it is it is fronted by America's James Corden, so... <laughs> uh. I mean, if, if he gets on your tits that much, then yeah, I mean, give it a pass. But like, I don't particularly mind... Like he's not the worst. Like I, I, he's de- I, I would not put him on the same fucking peg as James Corden. James Corden is now America's James Corden. That's yeah, true. We don't want him back under any circumstances. No, no. Do not send no, him back. Absolutely not. Like, no, they sent Piers Morgan back, and that's that. Frankly, that that was the, the final straw. <laughs> they sent Piers Morgan back so that momentum could retweet him. That's what I can tolerate a lot of what America's getting up to in the last like Fuck. couple of centuries, but not sending Piers Morgan back. That just crossed the line. <laughs> That's it. He didn't go willingly. We had to extraordinarily rendition him back to us via Egypt. <laughs> but yeah, no, the the Orville, the Orville is good Star Trek. Um, uh, it genuinely is, and I would, I would, I would give an honest recommendation of it. All right, for those of you listening who are into Star Trek, check out the Orville. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. I don't know. Do you think Star Trek will ever actually be good no. again? 
This feel, you know what? I shouldn't have asked that because this is we're turning into fucking red letter media. That's what this episode <laughs> basically is. But um, no, I, I, everything it's got potential. Like the last film that they made, um, Beyond, that was actually pretty yeah, decent. Beyond is Beyond is really good. Um, like. I mean, the Orville itself, although it's not Star Trek, shows that you can make good Star Trek. Like it's what's, doable. Um, what's really good about Beyond is that it, it it's very like it feels very true to the sort of like the the original Star Trek vibe. Mm. Um, it's much less trying to be what if like everyone in the universe was about to die and only like by doing war crimes could you save them than like some of other some other efforts recently. Yeah. But also, it really, really, really angered a lot of like nerds by having a bit with like where they they blow up all the enemy drones by like jamming the signal by playing the Beastie Boys. Oh, them. that rules! What? Yeah, that was that was that was genuinely the most Star Trek thing that's ever happened. That where they're like, oh, yeah. if we if we play the Beastie Boys through the the Jeffries tubes, it'll like crash all the drones. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So that was, was just... it was it Shambhala they were playing or? Or was it their their one song that everyone took dead? Uh, it, it, it was it was the one song. Of course it of was. Course. Of course. Yes. But yeah, I mean that made that made a lot of humorless nerds incredibly angry, which was just the perfect way to end the film. I thought, you know what I mean? It was. Uh... <laughs> yes, yeah, we should, more more yeah. crazy decisions should be made with the intent of getting nerds angry. I think. Oh, absolutely! Right. I mean, isn't that basically what we do with this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you! I, well, Star Trek Beyond, like just like again, like the Orville, like it was a large labour of love from Simon Pegg, who really fucking loves Star Trek. Yeah, Simon Pegg's pretty good, right? So here's a question: Has Simon Pegg ever, apart from Into Darkness, has he ever been involved in a film project that's just been completely bad? Didn't, yes. didn't he play Toby Young in a film? Yes. Oh my god! What? Yes, he did. Sorry, what? <laughs> wait, what? Fucking <laughs> record tell me about scratch that? here. Yep. How did I not hear about it? Have you not listened to our Toby Young episode? I probably not. <laughs> I totally have. I absolutely listened to the Toby Young episode. I listen to every episode of this podcast that goes out, not just the ones I'm on. Absolutely, yes. I just um, the- don't remember. <laughs> the film's called How to Lose Friends and Alienate People, and it's based on the Toby on Young the book, book of the same. And. Simon Pegg plays the not Toby Young character. Oh my god, I need to watch this film. Um, and a and a dog a dog commits suicide. I mean. <laughs> oh my god, what? Yeah, like a dog throws itself out of a skyscraper window rather than be around the Toby Young analog. So it's, it's an incredibly <laughs> realistic film. I mean, to be fair, dogs don't generally want to be around Tories, anyway. Is my understanding. So mm. is it? Is it a reconstructed documentary with a soundtrack by Trent Reznor? Because that does sound very fucking realistic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Adam Curtis' documentary on Toby Young when? He thought he knew how to make friends and influence people. But it wasn't that. A thousand miles away, in America. (laughs) A group of men in a boardroom read his book they were repulsed you could totally do like an Adam Curtis documentary of Toby Young I mean to be honest I'd watch an Adam Curtis documentary on anything I was going to say you could do an Adam Curtis documentary on just about anything really just uh, 
just get a bunch of like found footage and and just go over the top of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Put some, <laughs> put some like music on that people haven't thought about for years. License to print money, isn't it? The thing that annoys me about Adam Curtis is he's got very similar taste in music to me at points. So he's like, you know, whenever I hear Adam Curtis like stuff, I'm like, shit, I know that track, I know that track, I know that track, I know that track. Even like the obscure kind of was a B-side on a Nine Inch Nails album like years ago or was like, you know, um, was by Burial or something like that. I'm like, yeah, I, I know that fucking track too. It's like, it's like he's inside my head, which is really kind of annoying. And then it's even worse when I came on this podcast. People said, "Oh, you sound a bit like Adam Curtis." I'm like, fuck, great, fantastic. <laughs> you can do the delivery. Lean into it. Fuck it. Why not? Yeah. So, shall we? Shall we maybe look towards wrapping this up then? Seeing as we seem to have, uh, I wouldn't say we've exhausted the well. We just, I think we've kind of touched we've just on wandered, it enough. Wandered away from the fucking well while yeah. flipping at the bird. It's too fucking <laughs> it hot. Is, it's, it's too, too hot. hot. None of us. None of us have like the root enthusiasm here because we're all just going, "Fuck me, I want it to be cold." Yeah, yeah, I'm sitting yeah. here with a fan blasting me, and I'm still like my back is caked in sweat as I'm sitting in this chair. If I edit this bit out, David, right? <laughs> leave, it it in, just... leave it in. Yeah, uh, I mean, the people the, deserve to James, James, James knows. James knows full well that following anything with this edit this bit out guarantees it's being left in. <laughs> I, I have David, I have this myself. Um... I, I I have access, David, to all the bits that you cut from previous episodes because of liable, etc. <laughs> Um, I invite you in the, in the spirit of Star Trek to consider your next move very carefully. Was that from when... The only uh, the only exception to the like it stays in rule is if Rob said it, then it definitely comes out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, that's harsh, but that also means this bit won't yeah. be because then Rob would hear it. So I'm sorry yeah, that's it. It does have to stay in. But I mean, when you're going to just say is an once and fox dogs, like. Yeah, I'm taking that. I out. was very careful not to say that. I want to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, ha- whatever happened to our our like angel child Rob we had at the start of the podcast, where he was he was very professional and he hardly ever accused anyone of visiting Little Saint James. You did, Jamie. The same fucking thing that happened to me. You did. You're a bad influence. <laughs> I came on. I came on for the episode where we're doing education on like you know trans rights and trans issues and I'm, I'm very serious i'm doing my research and careful and i wanted to make sure i got it right and that uh, you know and uh like cut forward however many fucking episodes it's been and i'm making <laughs> jokes to noise up david because you'll have to spend time editing them out like bad influence jamie i mean i don't see it myself but okay <laughs> <laughs> oh right well i think we'll leave it there um yeah Star Star Trek, a land of contrasts. That's right. Yes, very much so. A fascist, liberal, small C conservative, communist utopia, all at once. It is not a communist utopia. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, I know it's like, not. I know it's not. There was one hot take buried within that, and it was the fact that it was communist. Here's the thing: they they genuinely like the whole communist thing. I think it's just because it's post scarcity and they don't have money. Yep. That's it. That's all it takes to be communist, apparently. When that face, when you understand what communism is, clearly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, have the Americans ever understood what communism is? Well, no, because they thought Barack Obama was a communist, didn't they? Yeah. Earlier on, I heard that Kamala Harris was a Marxist. Oh, I wish she was a Marxist. That would rule. Like, it really is the case. It's so cursed. You hear them talking about, oh, yeah, Kamala Harris is a phony. She's secretly a Marxist planning to. And you're like, I fucking wish. Please. <laughs> Let, let's have these Please, people. Kamala Harris, if you're listening to this, be a secret Marxist. 
Do you know what we need? We need Star Trek technology to pop open a fucking wormhole to the alternate mega dimension so we can get Kamala Harris in a goatee wearing a Shea shirt to lead the revolution on the American continent, right? We 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 need we need like evil Joe Biden, right, to come in equally confused, but Isn't evil Joe Biden, Biden, the Joe Biden the wall. we have though? Isn't that who evil Joe Biden yeah. is? Yeah, he, he came through a wormhole, shaved the goatee so that no one would clock him, and he's just been wreaking oh. havoc. Oh god, I'm now picturing they've got two two Joe Bidens here. One of them, they're having him just they're making him film stuff with his dad's car and shit like that. And he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix things. It's, you know, and he doesn't realize he's on a holiday. <laughs> Whereas the other Biden, the Biden who's actually like standing for office, uh, you know, he's just like, oh, I just need to play myself up as a doddering old fool. And uh, what is it he says? He says, oh, come on, man. Yeah, I'll say that. Or I'm just, you know. There are two Joe Bidens. One only tells the truth. The other one only talks about his leg heel. Oh my God. <laughs> there are two Joe Bidens warring inside you. The one that wins is the one you vote for. <laughs> oh, fuck, right. Okay, the heat's clearly getting to us. Um, Sinan, thank you very much for coming on. Um, do you want I, to plug your stream? Uh, yeah, um, so I stream three times a week usually, Mondays 6 to 9, Fridays 6 to 9, and Mondays... Oh, sorry, not Mondays, God. The heat's killing me. Um, Sundays 1 to 4, all PM on those ones, and uh, it, the Twitch is... It's Twitch, and it's SK the Crusader, all spelled out. And also follow me on Twitter, at the Sinankos. And that's it. And thanks for having cool. me on, guys. I really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been great having you on, man. Um, we'll, ha we'll have to do this some other time when we're not all brain dead. For yeah, please. I, 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 um, in the winter, just hit me up, and then um, we'll do another one. Star Trek 2 Into Darkness. Absolutely. I'm up for that. <laughs> right, yeah. Thanks very much for coming on, Sinan. Um Check out the streams, folks. Uh, follow us at PraxisCast on Twitter as well. Tell your friends. Tell people who aren't your friends. Probably inflict it on people who aren't your friends, to be honest. And we will see you again soon. And if you're wondering what the holodeck would look like under current technology, try out Second Life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're done. <laughs> Good night, folks. Checks out. <laughs>